0: All right, everybody gather round, gather round. This is how it's gonna go tonight. Jeff, you get the sign. You're gonna carry the sign that says, I am the light of the world. Everybody else will follow alongside you giving out glow sticks. When someone wants a glow stick, offer to put it around their wrist like a bracelet, but don't click it on at the end. Just wait right there. And this is when you ask them the question. Ask them if they think they're a good person. And of course they will say yes. And then, take them through the 10 commandments, show them that they are a liar, that they've taken God's name in vain, that they've stolen before. And once you show them that they have sinned, tell them they're going to hell, ask them if they want to receive the love of Christ. All right, Sawyer, you're up first. I want you to walk up to that group of 10 girls right there and tell them about their eternal damnation. That's how it went. That was the first time I ever learned about evangelism. I was in high school. Some of my friends got really excited about sharing the gospel. We went to the beach. We went up and down telling people uh, that they were sinners. They were facing eternal judgment. We asked them if they wanted to receive Jesus. And if they said no, we would go on to the next group. Most people politely listened. Once or twice, someone would raise an intellectual objection and I would just crush it. Like a dixie cup because all i read at the time was apologetics and philosophy and this went on for many many weeks and i found that no matter how tight my script was how good my arguments were no matter how fast i could back them into a corner most people didn't care why what's their problem i don't know anyways on a different note recently i was having a conversation with someone about a very contentious current event. We were having a conversation about it and they were raising some points that I already knew, I already knew these points. I was familiar with the authors that wrote about these points before. I had actually written papers in response to these points. So when this person was saying things, I kind of, I jumped in, I helped them to uh, finish their sentence, to complete the idea for them. I explained the concept and I told them why I was wrong, why I was invalid, fallacious, immoral, and led to horrible consequences. And do you know what they did? They freaked out. They got really mad at me. They got angry. They started yelling and insulting me. And I thought I was doing a good thing. What was their problem? <laughs> How would you evaluate my conversations back there? What do you think I was doing that was helpful or unhelpful? If I was looking back with my hindsight, now being 2020, I would say that The biggest mistake I was making was that I wasn't listening well. I was listening to respond. I was waiting for an opportunity to tell them why they were wrong, but I wasn't listening to understand them. And I wasn't showing them that I cared about them. And that can be extremely frustrating when someone isn't listening to understand. So why is it frustrating? Because you don't feel understood and feeling understood is a very important part of being human. Don't take my word for it, though. Back in 2012 at the University of Harvard, at Harvard University, a study was done that was called Disclosing Information About the Self is Intrinsically Valuable. And it found that sharing personal information about ourselves is one of the most foundational parts of being human. Here's two ways, two of the ways of how they tested for it. One was, They gave participants the opportunity to answer questions. And you could either answer questions on behalf of yourself or on behalf of somebody else. If you answered questions on behalf of somebody else, you received a financial reward. They gave you money to answer on behalf of someone else. But if you answered on behalf of yourself, you got no money. And what they found was, many of the participants chose to give up their financial incentive purely for the reward of talking about themselves. They mapped parts of the brain that lit up when people spoke about themselves and the same areas lit up and there was the same dopamine response as uh, things like food and love. So you can see that we are wired to connect with others. We are wired to share our lives with others. How does this relate to the series that we're in? If you're new, if you're just checking out Baby for the first time today, welcome. We are a few weeks into a series called Finding Common Ground. And we're observing the fact that uh, a marking feature of our age today is the presence of widespread disagreement. Disagreement. Many people are disagreeing about many things, and we're not good at having this discussion well. And so it leads to polarization, division, tension, and animosity within families, within workplaces, within churches, and within our culture as a whole. That should not be a surprise to anyone here. And we're asking the question, how do we, as God's people, step into this space as agents of redemption, as agents of reconciliation, and as agents of peacemaking? Today, we're specifically doing a deep dive into the concept of the topic, the skill of listening well. Now, perhaps you're hearing this and you're thinking, Sawyer, there are so many other important things that we need to talk about. Why are we wasting time talking about listening? The church really needs to talk about this. The church really needs to have a conversation about that. We should deal with this problem. And you know, that may be true, but those questions kind of identify the point that I'm getting at here. We think that being better communicators and problem solvers requires us to be better arguers and debaters. And you know, speaking is important. That may be partially true, but it's incomplete. Today we're gonna be looking at God's word and it says, I'll give you a sneak peek, that the path to peace the path to unity, the path to redemption and reconciliation, it is not paved with people who are loud, self-assured, and argumentative. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Listening is the heart of proper communication. And proper communication is the heart of every single meaningful relationship that you will ever have. So if you want to make peace with uh, those with whom you disagree with, If you want unity, if you want things to get better, we had better become better listeners. So the question that I want you to think about today is this, how can listening be used as a tool for peacemaking? How can listening be used as a tool for peacemaking? And to answer this question, we're gonna look at the book of Proverbs. Would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs, it's considered a piece of wisdom literature. It's a literary genre from the ancient Near East that contains Proverbs. It contains sayings pertaining to virtue, to wisdom, and to right living. And this is really, really helpful. I love that the book of Proverbs is in the Bible because we see in other parts of Scripture these broad visions and calls to peace. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Romans 12 says, as much as it is within your power, be at peace with all people. Philippians 2 says, model Christ's posture of humility. And I see these things and I think, that's great. How do I pull this off? And Proverbs gives gives very detailed and specific explanations of how a foolish person listens and how a wise person listens. Oz Guinness said that contrast is the mother of clarity. And so today we're looking at the book of Proverbs to get wisdom for how a wise person listens. To do two things. We'll look at two things today. A wise person listens to learn and a wise person listens to love. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 12. Chapter 12 verse 15. It says this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. One more time. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So the wise person will listen to advice and the fool can't be convinced of anything. Uh, They're stubborn. They're dogmatic. They're perhaps thick headed. They don't want to hear you out. And I'm sure we've all had conversations with someone like this fool. They're impossible to reason with. They've got their preset memorized points and they're just firing them at you. And if you manage to get a word in and make a decent point, they change the subject, right? It's frustrating. It feels like they're not listening to us. They're not talking to us. They're talking at us. God forbid two fools have a conversation like this. We all know what that looks like. I love watching those videos online. Two fools having a conversation. What would that look like? What would that sound like? That would sound like two people talking at each other. That would not be a dialogue, dia is two, that would not be a dialogue, that would be two monologues happening side by side at the same time. Both people with the posture of, you don't need to talk, you need to be quiet, shut your mouth, listen to what I have to say, think like me, talk like me, act like me, and the world will be a better place. This is incredibly destructive. And in Proverbs 12, God is warning us against pride. The fool is prideful. And what is the price of pride? One of the prices of pride is that you remain in error and in sin. How so? conversations can serve as a corrective device. If you are misunderstanding something or if you are acting improperly, talking with people is how we can learn about this fact. But the fool won't listen. And because they won't listen, they won't learn. And because they won't learn, they are doomed to be stuck with all of their faults and all of their follies. Think of this. Think of this. Imagine all of the beliefs that you have. If you could make a huge list of them, think of beliefs that you think are you know, very, fairly uncontroversial. Con, con, I can't talk today. Think of your beliefs that are uncontroversial and think of your beliefs that are you know, a bit stronger on some polarizing issues, put them all out there and ask yourself this. Do you think some of those beliefs are possibly wrong or incorrect? Whether completely false or whether partially false. Do you think it's possible? Okay. Now, of those beliefs you have, perhaps your true beliefs, there's even more that you could learn about them as well. And so if it's possible that we can be uh, corrected in our false beliefs and edified in our true beliefs, every conversation is an opportunity to learn. Right? The challenge is this. We don't know which of our beliefs are the ones that require tweaking. This is why the fool is doomed to be stuck in this. They don't allow other people to speak into them. But what? The wise person will receive advice. The fool is right in his own eyes and thus removes any opportunity for growth and for feedback. Now, if you aren't a Christian and you're watching this today, I think you would agree that this is actually a good piece of advice. There's something that you can take from this as well. So this is the first price of pride, that you remain in your error and that you remain in your sin. And if you're not postured to listen well, you're going to miss out on these voices, but you're also going to miss out on something else. The second price of pride is that you miss God's voice in your life. There's a German theologian, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think as Germans say, I'm sorry. And he wrote a very small book called Life Together, which is advice for Christians, for believers, and how they should live in community. What are the right modes of behavior? And he said this about listening. He who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either he will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God. Prattle just means foolish, irrelevant, babble and conversation. This is the beginning of the death of spiritual life. One who cannot listen long and patiently will presently be talking beside the point and be never really speaking to others, albeit he be not conscious of it. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and for his brother, but only for himself and for his own follies. God speaks to us. Did you know that? Sometimes he speaks to us through his body, through the church. That's how we listen to others. Yes. Sometimes he speaks to us through his words. Sometimes he speaks to us through prayer as well. And how are we postured to receive this. First Samuel 3:10 Samuel responds to the Lord by saying, "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." But how often do we come to prayer with the opposite attitude, saying, "Listen, Lord, your servant is speaking." We would never say that, of course, but how often do I come to prayer with the posture of, posture of here are my demands, here are my commands, Listen to this guy. Now, of course, we know that God loves to listen to his children, right? Psalm 55 says that. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain. A father delights in hearing this, but do we make space to listen to what God has to say to us as well? Or are we only prattling in the presence of God? So what exactly is the posture then of the wise person? Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12 is, is really contrasting postures of the heart that affect how we listen to others. The foolish person has a posture of pride, which makes them unable to receive instruction from others or from God himself. And the wise person has a posture that is ready to receive what someone else has to say, whether it's right or wrong, whether they agree or not, they receive it. God is calling us to humility. The wise person of Proverbs 12 acknowledges that I could be wrong and I could benefit from listening to you. I may have something to learn. So here's the question. How do you receive advice? Do you receive it as, no, I'm fine, thanks, that's good. Or is it open-handed? Thank you, I appreciate you sharing that with me and taking the time, I'll think about it. Whether or not you think it's right, whether or not you think you're going to actually apply it or not. Are you in a posture to receive and a posture to learn or are you guarded and you don't want to hear anything else? That's a question for us today. I was sharing at the start of the message two stories of where I wasn't listening well. And the second one of these was where I was talking with someone about a contentious issue and I didn't let them speak. I didn't let them finish their sentences. I didn't let them finish their ideas because I already thought I knew what they were talking about. I already thought I knew the points and what they were going to share, and I didn't feel the need to listen to them because I already thought that I knew it all. And what was the price of my pride? First, I lost an opportunity to learn. Also, additionally, I kind of left some scorched earth around that relationship that required some healing. And secondly, I assumed a posture of pride that followed me then as I went to approach God. So that is the posture of the fool in Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12 shows us how we can listen to learn. The next proverb that we're going to look at shows us how we can listen to love. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 18? That should just be a few pages over or a few swipes, depending on how you're viewing it today. Proverbs 18 verse two says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We know these people. These people start every sentence with I. They're spouting off their opinions as if they're on a talk show. They use every opportunity to tell you what they like and what they dislike, their thoughts on this and that, and everything that they've done. And God forbid, if you happen to get a word in, they will use that as an opportunity to pivot it back to themselves. So let's say you mention how you're having a hard time at work. And they will say, oh my word, listen, I have the worst boss ever. These people are frustrating to talk to, right? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in talking. Now, there are some rich implications in this proverb if we do a a little bit of advanced textual analysis. It says that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. So if a fool doesn't like it, What can we derive about the attitude of a wise person? If a fool does not take pleasure in something, then a wise person must take pleasure in something, right? In what? In understanding. They take pleasure in understanding. But understanding what? Well, if the fool only takes pleasure in the expression of themselves, then a wise person must take pleasure in the expression of others. Later on in that same paragraph from Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he shares this. The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship, the fellowship of believers, Christians, consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear." So it is his work that we do for our brother when we learn to listen to him. Christians, especially ministers, oh, so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others, that this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. This is what listening to love looks like. Proverbs 18.2 is a call to empathy. It's a call to delight in others. And perhaps you hear this and you're thinking, sure, man, I'm down to listen to others. I just don't know many people worth listening to. I just don't care to listen to most people. May I say this? As your pastor, as your friend, you don't care because you don't know enough about them to care. Does that make sense? We need to give other people a chance. After all, do you think, to the average person, when you're walking down the street, you appear massively interesting? Be honest. Or perhaps, do you think in a three-minute conversation at a party, someone could really come to know the depths of you? Of course not, right? You think there's a lot more to you as a person than can be shared in just some quick small talk. So ought we not extend this same assumption to those around us, perhaps. Consider this. Consider a painter who didn't paint very much. And you ask them, hey, why don't you paint very much? They say, well, I'm looking for the perfect thing to paint. Everything else doesn't seem worthy of my time and efforts. I'm waiting for the perfect thing, and once I find it, I'm going to paint it. Be kind of strange, right? Right? Now compare that to a different painter. This painter tells you, I have never encountered an object or a person that was unworthy of being painted. My joy is recognizing their beauty and expressing it on my canvas. Who do you think is the better artist? A Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, he expresses this and he actually applies this to the Christian faith. He says this, Alas, but we men talk about finding the perfect person in order to love him. Christianity speaks about being the perfect person who limitlessly loves the person he sees. So when I delight in listening to you, I am showing you that you are valuable. Your thoughts, your experiences, your feelings are important. They're valuable. They're so valuable that I will pay for them with my own time, with a resource that I can't get back. And do you see how I'm showing you God's love? I'm showing you that you're important without saying anything. This is the value of listening to love. Think about this. Imagine You're at a coffee shop sitting across from a person who thinks the complete opposite of you on your, you know, most favorite contentious topic, right? Pick something, politics, economics, religion, COVID, what have you. Pick it. Think of someone who believes the exact opposite and they're sitting across from you at a coffee table. And let's say you had a conversation with them and this person listened to you. They actually tried to understand you. You felt that they respected you and they heard you out and they wanted to learn. And at the end of this conversation, neither of you persuaded each other, neither of you changed their mind, but you didn't doubt for a second that they took you seriously as a person and valued your thoughts. Wouldn't it be hard to hate that person? It would certainly be harder to hate that person than it was at the start of the conversation. God forbid you might actually like them. I was talking with a friend of mine recently, and he told me that he learned one of his colleagues at his workplace is an anti-Semite. This person hates Jews. And what's worse This person also claims to be a christian this person thinks that jewish people ought to be hated by christians that jewish people who love jesus are not able to spend eternity with him and he told me sawyer i've spent days talking with this guy he will not listen to a word that i'm saying i would love to get you and him in a room so that you can just crush him i want you to destroy him with your philosophical mind powers This is what I said to my friend. I said, hey, I don't don't think this person wants to listen right now. I don't think me arguing them into a corner and pummeling them will really do any good. But I think they need a friend. I think they need someone who will listen to them. It seems like they've got a lot of hate in their heart if it's overflowing to a whole people group. They're probably angry. They're probably hurt. So why don't you listen to them for a bit? You don't have to agree with them, not at all. But maybe they can know that someone cares. At this time in their life, maybe they're not ready to receive all of God's truth. But perhaps they can receive his love. To be continued. I'll let you know what comes from that. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? How can we be people who listen to learn and listen to love? It may be helpful to distinguish between two types of listening. There's, a, there's one that I tend to fall into and there's one that we're called to from scripture. We can label these active listening versus passive listening. Passive listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're listening to the person, but you're not fully there. You're just saying, mm, yep, yeah, uh-huh, sure. And you keep peppering little responses, hoping that eventually they will tucker themselves out and stop talking to you and going away. Uh, I do this more than I ought to. That is passive listening versus active listening. Active listening shows that this right here, right now, you and I, this is the most important thing happening in my life at this moment. I am fully invested and I am fully here. So that is active listening. That's an easy thing that we can do to show people that we care. And as we are active listening, we can be giving responses. But there's two types of responses. Uh, There's many types of responses, but there's two categories that I've felt helpful to keep in mind as I'm responding. There are shift responses and there are support responses. A shifting response is a response that shifts things back to yourself. So the person says to you, I'm just really having a hard time with my boss at work. And you hear that and you say, oh my, let me tell you, I hate my boss. His name is Sean, he's super tall, he plays baseball. I just, I hate tall people. That's a shift response. Here's a support response. You could say, hey man, that sounds awful. How do you feel right now? Or if you want, you could share about yourself, but here's what I find helpful. Sandwich your relation with um, two parts of supporting. You could say, hey, that sounds awful. I'm in a similar situation, how are you feeling? And so that is a a support response. It's kind of like keeping the balloon in the air. We're hitting it back and forth. That is a dynamic conversation. Now that we know the posture of humility and the posture of empathy, as we listen to learn and we listen to love, let's put this into practice right now. So would you take a deep breath in, let it out and close your eyes. Actually close your eyes, please. I want you to imagine someone standing in front of you that you don't want to talk to. You don't like talking to this person. They're not worth your time. This can be the person that you avoid at family gatherings, at corporate events. You could also, if you'd rather, you could just make up someone in your head who you think is the last person on earth that you would like to talk to. I want you to bring that person up in your mind. And I first want you to look at this person Just look at them. Are you staring at a human being in front of you? Or have you already made up your mind about them? Is this just a conversation partner, someone for you to preach your agenda at, or is this someone that you could learn from and that you could love? And now I want you to imagine what a conversation would look like with this person if you were acting like a fool. So press play and start watching it play out in your mind, remember that the fool thinks that there is nothing to learn and nothing to love. So how are you speaking with this person right now in a foolish way? What's your tone? What's your posture? What's your body language? How are you showing them you have nothing to learn from them and there is nothing about them worth loving? Now stop it in your mind, pause it right here. Rewind the conversation back to the very beginning And I want you to ask God for help. Right now, ask him to help you learn from this person. Ask him to help you love this person. I'll give you a moment. Thank him for this person. Pray on their behalf. Intercede for them. Pray that they would know his grace and his love, that they would know his favor and his blessings. Ask God for his perspective on them that he would change your heart towards this person. And now I want you to try having a conversation again, but according to biblical wisdom. Press play. Watch the conversation play out again. What are your mannerisms like this time? What's your tone? What's your body language? What's your face look like? Your eyes? How are you showing them that you support them, that you're willing to learn from them, that you love this person as well? Okay, you can open your eyes now. What would your life look like if your conversations tended towards the path of wisdom and not the path of foolishness? What would your marriage look like? What would your relationship with your children look like? What would your family look like? What would this church look like if it was made up of families who treated each other like this? What would this country look like if it was made up of churches of people who listened like this as well? That would be glorious. Now, perhaps you're reading the book of Proverbs and you think to yourself, like me, you think, God, I've been a fool. I don't listen to learn. I don't love these people as I ought to. I've I've behaved in some shameful ways. Can I just encourage you with this and remind you that as Christians, our call is not to perfection. Jesus was perfect and our call is to him. And so we position ourselves underneath the waterfall of his grace. We get back up knowing that his grace abounds and by his strength and by his wisdom and by his power, we try again.